up, Frot fans? We got a little bit different of a Frot cast for you this week. Um, both Brendan and Matt got held up at work this week, and Brett is still in his post-election hoarder's bunker. So obviously we couldn't make a regular Frot cast happen. But if you like actual movie discussions, um, I decided to talk Army of One, the Nick Cage uh, direct-to-DVD classic where he plays uh, a guy who tried to kill Bin Laden. Um, that's out on DVD, like now, I think. It was out in a couple theaters. Anyway, I got Jen Yamato and Evan Satoff from uh, Birth, Movies, Death, uh, Jen from uh, Daily Beast to talk about it, and we actually uh, talk about the movie. So if you're into actual movie talk, this should be the broadcast for you. Uh, we'll probably be back to normal next week, I hope. Anyway, uh, thanks and fraud on. Dateline 2004. Land, the lawless tribal region of Pakistan. Our story concerns Gary Faulkner, a part-time construction worker with bad kidneys and a full-time American patriot, who after years of watching the United States fruitlessly hunt for Osama bin Laden, claimed he was visited by God and accepted a mission to find and capture Bin Laden himself. Armed with only a sword and knife, Mr. Faulkner traveled to one of the most dangerous places on the planet to bring Bin Laden to justice. As strange as it is compelling, this is a true story, or a story that has truth in it, or maybe, Elements of truth. Gee, pretty boy. The time has come. The tea has arrived. All right. Well, cool. We're talking uh, Army of One, the modern Nick Cage classic. Uh, on the line with me, I got Jen Yamato from The Daily Beast. Hello. And Evan Satoff from uh, Birth Movies Death. You're you're going by your real name now, or no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Formerly Sam Strange. That's right. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna pressure uh, film crit Hulk to drop the pseudonym at some point? No, he did drop the uppercases uh, oh, recently. He? What? Yeah. Did he really? He did. Oh. Long overdue. Oh it's, my goodness. But you know, I think he likes he likes being known as film crit Hulk. So whatever he wants to do, we're cool with. He never fully committed to the shtick because he was still using like the articles. So I was like, if you're gonna do Hulk speak, I mean, at least drop the thes and ands. It does seem to be more of a a regular, just regular voice now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Um, so maybe we'll just start with general thoughts on on Army of One. Oh sure, Jen. My general thought on the major motion picture Army of One starring Nicolas Cage is that everybody in America should see it uh, for uh, out of duty to country and mm-hmm. human humanity okay. and cinema kind. Um, and I'm really sad that more people haven't seen it. I mean, it's it was dumped into theaters and now it's on VOD in some way, but like nobody knows to do you look know, for it. Do you know the backstory on that? Like what happened? I mean, with over here, they didn't screen it for critics. Uh, they sent me an email that said I could request a, a review copy of the DVD. And I was like, I didn't even know the movie was out yet. But then they like FedExed me a DVD. So I watched it yeah. on DVD. And I guess it it's... Is the, 
It is the rare movie in the digital age that still went direct to DVD, direct yeah. to video. And I was happy to see that, uh, you know, even with DVD sales, like basically not non becoming non-existent, they still do the thing where they prohibit fast forwarding through their 10 second like dimension logo. So what other movies did they promote? Uh, if you like this movie, we'll make you sit through the promos for these other movies. Uh, I don't even remember. It was like a Kathy Bates movie. Her, I, I, I don't think it's out yet. It's like a Kathy Bates movie with, um, ah, I forget who the other actress is, but it was kind of like a old ladies being firecrackers kind of thing, which is oh, r- yeah. really weird. Like Army of One, you're definitely going to want to watch Kathy Bates movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, recall having any trailers on my DVD. I so, must have uh, blinked them out. Yeah, they probably took those off of yours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Jen, you're like you're like unabashed positive on Army of One. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I because you know if Nicolas Cage wasn't in it, I don't think there would be a reason to see it. Mm-hmm. But um, like it, it's kind of like the Nick Cage magic. Anything he touches, I feel is um a movie that you should consider watching. Um, and when he goes off and is allowed to be like unleashed Nick Cage, then I think that alone is reason enough to see the film. When he releases the pigs, as Werner Herzog used to tell him. <laughs> and he's been releasing them a lot lately, yeah. which uh, has been very interesting. It's been interesting to be a Nick Cage fan slash watcher slash uh, person just uh, like curious to see what the hell he's going to do. I don't think the uh, pigs were ever penned up in this movie like there was no point where he wasn't no. just like going turning it up to 11 right well the opening scene is nicholas cage as this real life guy gary faulkner who is like a 50 year old construction worker from colorado um and it it opens on this scene of him in this uh, an american flag like suit and goggles i think yeah yeah hang gliding in a, a red white and blue striped hang glider over i don't even know where that's supposed to be over i think it was supposed to be pakistan no it's at least one of his attempts to get into pakistan it was a middle eastern country yes we'll say that and like giggling like a maniac which off the bat i feel like i knew this movie was a good life choice for me to make evan would you say you're as positive about about uh army of one not really but i (laughs) But I do agree with pretty much everything Jen said. This is one of those movies. I think that if you value crazy Nick Cage performances, there's absolutely no way I could tell you not to watch this. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. He's he's not dialed back at all. He's trying as hard as he can. But I do think that it's one of these, you know, they, they say, you know, making a movie is difficult. And I think this is a good example of that, where all... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That should be the pull quote. I mean, I obviously haven't spoken with Larry Charles. It just seems like a movie where they they went and got everything, and I bet they were really excited about it, and all the elements are in place, and then they start cutting it and and (laughs) feel like, oh, I don't know why, but this isn't funny. It's not landing. It's kind of like they uh, they got their one and they got their one, but then they found out that it didn't add up to two for the various reasons that sometimes sink or elevate films. You know, you go out, you don't know exactly what you have. And I think this is one of those. I think it it doesn't quite work as a comedy. And totally, I'm not really sure how to read the characters sometimes. Yeah. And 
I mean, so it's not, it's more like an anomaly, you know, and it's great for the Nicolas Cage performance of it, but that's sort of the only value I could find. Worst part of having this bad kidney getting dialysis three times a week is they won't let me eat chicken wings. Man, this country makes the best goddamn chicken wings in the world. Now, I haven't seen the whole world. I haven't tasted chicken wings in Africa, but I'd be willing to bet the right fall on a broke dick dog that no place makes better wings than they do here. Yeah, I I'm, I'm with you, and I kind of think the reason that it doesn't work comedically is that, like, they took this crazy story, you know, this Gary Faulkner guy, and it's like a super crazy story. They found him in Pakistan with like a knife and night vision goggles and a pistol. And his plan was to kill bin Laden. And people were like, oh, well, that sounds like it'd be a crazy movie. And so then they do the normal thing that they do with true stories. We're like, oh, we got to amp this up. We got to like make, we got to heighten this reality. And it's like, well, it's already pretty heightened. So if you heighten something that's already outlandish, then there's like no foundation so it just feels like this weird ball of like skittles and frosting and you're like i don't know what i'm i mean the first scene like nick cage wakes up uh, on the job site that he's sleeping on and he's kind of like this crazy homeless man and he's doing this voice uh i'll put a clip in here but there's like he's doing this voice that doesn't even sound like the real guy it's just like this bizarre <laughs> artistic choice and then when he starts hanging out with people, it's hard to buy that, that anyone would want to hang out with this guy because he just starts he starts at like, you know, 100 miles an hour. Like there's no build to it. And so it's like really hard to figure out what is supposed to be real in this guy's brain. Mm-hmm. I believe it because like if you read the GQ article that this film was clearly uh, cribbing from very heavily, like they say it was loosely based on the GQ article about Gary Faulkner. But, like, every single detail in the GQ article is in this movie. Right. Um, and he it, he's described as this, like, manic character who was very generous and wanted to, like, help whoever needed help, like, building a deck or whatever. Um, but also was just kind of, like, very pushy and very, very touched by God in a very <laughs> specific kooky way. Mm-hmm. And so the, the it opens and it's got the narrator... And the narrator says, as strange as it is compelling, this is a true story or a story that has truth in it or maybe elements of truth. And then you're kind of like, well, if you want to make a movie about a true story that's crazy, like, isn't the truth part the selling point? Because if you just take a crazy, crazy true story and then take the true parts out of it, it's just kind of like this weird fever dream that doesn't make a ton of sense. And that kind of seems like what happened. Well, no, no, no. I think I think where that comes in is so much of what we know of the Gary Faulkner story of Gary Faulkner's life of his supposed 11 trips to Pakistan mm-hmm. um, spurred on by God talking to him, telling him that he needed to go to Pakistan to go find Osama bin Laden to, to bring bin Laden to justice by himself single handedly. Um, the truth that we know is kind of mostly either comes from the reports of the actual authorities who found him in Pakistan and were like, dude, what are you doing? Go home. <laughs> yeah. And his own, his own version of the truth, you know, like, do we believe all these tall tales of every attempt that he made to get into the country? Do we believe that he thought he could, or that he went to Israel, he flew to Israel and then hang glided across the border to get there? Mm-hmm. Do we believe that he like bought a, a, a boat and was going to sail 
<laughs> to Pakistan and just whoops ended up in like Mexico and went home to like try again. How much of this? How much of any of his story do we believe? And how much of his truth um, needs to be the actual real life? You know objective truth yeah. he, he claimed that he was caught in a hurricane and and uh, like dashed against the shore of baja california which uh does not have hurricanes pretty sure <laughs> so i that... mean can we talk about the fact that at least on one occasion i don't remember if it was the actual last time that he was found and sent home but he was definitely he definitely had like hash on him <laughs> so he's like a devout like touched by god and god by the way in this movie is played by in by russell brand mm-hmm. in the most russell brandian performance <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of him yeah. there's so many scenes of just him and russell brand hanging out and russell brand being like gary what are you doing i i do a terrible <laughs> accent obviously. but it's just like and can we talk about that larry charles directed this you know this movie yeah. should have been gotten at least a lot further than but, dumped to DVD. So what was Larry? I mean, did did he have something between uh, the dictator and this? Larry Charles. I don't, I don't think so. Because I think this reminded me. I, I watched. I rewatched the dictator this week, and Larry Charles seems to do this thing where he sort of just completely forgets like the larger movie that he's making. Like if he can come up with like a dumb joke that he thinks is funny in like some 90 second scene, he's going to do it. And it doesn't matter if it fits with the like scene. It doesn't matter if it fits with the rest of the movie. And I think that goes for like the dictator and this. It's just, he's, he will follow up any weird like improv urge he has. So when you put that guy and Nick Cage together, who basically like does the same thing with his acting choices, it's just like, I mean that I think that is like the main reason that you would watch this just to see two two insanely short attention span people like with no filter. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And yet I I feel like there's just enough of uh, in Nick Cage's performance that to to suggest and encourage that you don't completely just take it as a let's laugh at this like crazy dude. You know, there are attempts made during the in the film to like give him humanity or at least create some empathy for a guy who is trying. You know, he's just trying. We're all just <laughs> yeah. trying. Yeah, he's just um, a crazy guy trying. Yeah, <laughs> but he is a good guy. Like more yeah. or less. Sure. I mean, sure. he's got very good intentions, and he's like <laughs> one of you know, like he gets in his own way a thousand times over and over and over again. And I think there's something relatable in that, um, and. I think that's what captured people in the real world, um, uh, what captivated them about the real-life Gary Faulkner, who came home from Pakistan when he was finally uh, found on wandering some mountaintop mm-hmm. looking for Osama bin Laden's cave. But he, he came home and became this media darling and did like the rounds of, of talk shows and and everybody wanted to interview the guy yeah. until until they didn't anymore. But I mean, yeah. the, but the real story—it's easy to know which part you're watching. Like you can enjoy, like it is already a true story, and so you you—it's easier to enjoy all the the wacky parts of the story. Whereas this movie, I feel like there was—they probably wanted it to be um, told by this Gary Faulkner guy as the unreliable narrator. And it's kind of like the whole film seems like it's meant to take place like uh, in his mind, I guess. But 
it never really did its homework trying to ground like who saw him do what and like where's this coming from like you just you're like catapulted into this guy's twisted psyche with with no like signposts no 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 you guys i feel like and i'm trying my hardest to turn you both around on this movie (laughs) during the course of the conversation this is basically a don quixote story you know you don't need to know i don't think you need to know exactly all the like straight facts because he's surrounded by straight men he and women he is the the definitely unreliable but the fantastical dreamer at the center of this the um the poster image for army of one is like him and a donkey Mm -hmm. it is like you know it's like so so i mean that's like obviously what it's going for and to find that kind of uh, of story in the crazy true story of this real guy i think is what everybody was going for I think it's ironic because this concept is what sells the movie and how the movie got made. But the part of the movie I liked most was just seeing him be a strange guy among normal people in normal situations. Mm -hmm. I liked his drinking buddies. I liked his girlfriend. I liked that he was trying to do his best for her daughter. Uh, I think that works better as a contrast between this guy's so wacky. When the movie goes to his mission... It always lost me. And, and then I started getting a little bit. There's a very extended part where he's in Pakistan. And I, there was some, they tried some things there that were really interesting, but I just kept wanting him to get back home. Right. Uh, and then also because of the way the film is structured, you end up with about like four scenes where he's, he's trying to get back into his girlfriend's good graces because he just keeps going, you know, and after a while it gets a little tiresome. I, 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 I don't disagree with. Jen, I just think that it's the individual elements that kind of fall flat is what uh, ruins the movie for me. Yeah. Well, two things. I, I agree with what you're saying about um, how the uh, how the pitch sort of became the only thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it reminds me of like Tosh.0 when he plays a, a video of some guy like, you know, crashing a hang glider into a cliff and it's like, all right, yeah, I want to laugh at the slapstick of the guy crashing the hang glider into the cliff. But I also kind of wanted like an update of like, Hey, what happened to that guy? (laughs) What happened there? And then there's like no update in this movie. There's no, you want to know the details of like how, how did he actually get to Israel and, and where did he stay and how did he get the money to do that? And why did people let him do this? And it doesn't, it doesn't really give you that stuff and you're kind of like I'm kind of wanting to throttle it and be like come on man like I want to know some of this stuff and you're just giving me like extended slapstick sequences instead. Well I I think that's that you hit upon something that's really funny about that. This is basically the the movie equivalent of a fail video <laughs> where you're like you're like cringing for him and that's Evan that's why you want him to go home it's because you you like want him to to get back to reality and you don't mm-hmm. want to see him fail even though he's like stepping further in it and in it and obviously he's not gonna go find what he he is so sure he's going to find he's so sure he's the one person who is meant and destined to for greatness and it's very sad to watch somebody go through that when you know that that's not the case that they are delusional yeah and they never really they never really let it be sad, which was interesting. The other thing that I wanted to point out when you're talking about uh, his his love interest, um, 
I don't know. I just felt like she was way too attractive to uh, be the love interest for like this guy who's like quasi homeless and on dialysis and like is racist and delusional. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was supposed to be filtered through his mind, like some sort of shallow Hal kind of situation. But uh, <laughs> she's yeah. one of those surprise Trump female Trump voters. <laughs> yeah, she but, totally is that character. But also, like, I mean, even if she's attracted to the weird racist party, still like homeless and uh, I don't know. He had a lot of problems and kind of and really obnoxious. Like they made him Nick Cage's performance. While it's kind of like the main draw of this movie, it's also takes the real guy and makes him so over the top that parts of the story are even more unbelievable. Well, here's the thing, though, like. I think when the real life Gary Faulkner came back, uh, part of the reason why everybody was obsessed with this dude, this story was the fact that he came back alive, that he managed to do this to bumble his way into Pakistan and not die. Yeah. Um, not knowing the language, being completely unprepared and like wielding a samurai sword. He bought (laughs) off of the television and, and and being on dialysis three times a week and like going (laughs) and just like going to Pakistan. That's right. He should have been home on dialysis for his kidney disease. He's he's a uniquely American charmer, media charmer type guy. He's well, so- you, you you said you wanted to know like how he was able to do it, and I feel like the movie like tells us how he's very charming. He even charms the the like Pakistani hotel people um, and all of the strangers he meets. You know. He, he defies your expectation of this. You feel like he's, he's this like brash, obnoxious American in a strange land, which he is. But there's something very pure about his, the love he has for his fellow human. Yeah. He's very that, child-like. He's sort of the, he's like the George W. Bush era Forrest Gump. Yes. Mm. Like he's <laughs> like, he's an ugly American that bumbles his way through uh, a, a, a unfortunate expedition to the middle east and somehow like doesn't die <laughs> but i would say totally that I, I just don't know if the movie knows right if it is making a character or they really want us to care for this guy i right. think like, he, like I nicholas mean, cage nicholas cage did interviews for the, a couple of them and he genuinely wanted people to like to like respect i think gary Fox. that's so fascinating that he would think that and then play him like, I, that's one yeah. of the reasons I love Nicholas Cage so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so like on the, uh, on the note of, I don't know if the, I don't know what the movie understood about that. I think another thing that they did is like the movie's depiction of Pakistan. Like I can understand if that was Pakistan as seen through the eyes of this uh, kind of racist, crazy person. But like, if that was just supposed to be real Pakistan, uh, I mean, wasn't that kind of like super racist? Like, hey, I got a dentist. And then there's just like people in the street, like pulling each other's teeth with like people around them waving cat. Like, what was that <laughs> supposed to be? There's cities there and stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was in a city. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't defend that. Except <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like I, I have to just kind of guess that that is how he described it when he came back. And maybe. in fact, like, I mean, the entire... The entire fact that he survived kind of tells you that, hey, maybe Pakistan is 
uh, a lot like less dangerous and third world than than our sort of preconceived notions about it. Yeah, I kind of like that part of it that he went over there and was just wild and crazy, but like never really ran into any trouble. I mean, he had something stolen from him once, but uh, it, it's not like he got shot right away or anything like yeah. that. You, he was fine. Also, despite being heavily armor armed. Can we yeah, explain right. the Osama rap videos at all? What the fuck was that? Oh my god, I love that stuff. <laughs> what? what was that? There are two things to do with the this the Osama bin Laden portrayal in this movie. And the first is he has a Gary has this dream, right, that he sees because he's like looking for Osama bin Laden's cave. Mm-hmm. And he has a dream that he's he's like watching a version of MTV's Cribs. <laughs> where Osama talking, not like you would expect Osama bin Laden to talk, is like, welcome to my crib. And I love that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry not to. But, okay. And then the second part is like the big, the scene at the end where you see him finally meet Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I almost, like I was, I was about to say, I don't want to spoil it, but nobody. Yeah, no, I don't one, know no one cares, man. Spoiler. We're going full spoilers. Uh, it's weird because like, I, I feel like the dad when I talk about this movie because I'm usually the last person that is trying to make sense of uh, like a comedic sequence. But like the Osama Cribs video, I was kind of just baffled by because I didn't know if Gary Faulkner liked Cribs or if he was into rap. Like Even if that was supposed to be his delusion, it seemed like a weirdly out of character delusion for this like 50-year-old burnout dude to have. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was the Larry Charles thing because it kind of reminded me of uh, the dictator a little bit. Yeah. What happened? It makes more sense. Um, all right, so I don't want to. But go... we do have to talk about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. For go anybody ahead. listening to this who is on the fence about watching Army of One, let me just tell you what you're missing out on <laughs> by not watching it. You are missing out on a scene, the scene, the 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 emotional crescendo of the movie is when Gary finally wakes up in Osama bin Laden's cave, hooked up to matching dialysis <laughs> machines because Osama bin Laden, he all, he once heard, also had some kidney stuff going on. And they're hooked up to matching dialysis machines in Osama bin Laden's cave. And then they have a conversation and then they run to fight to duel with swords. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Jen, I mean, you, you said, uh, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just because I'm not telling anybody they shouldn't watch this movie. I think everybody <laughs> should. I just think it's kind of a, a failed experience. I agree. I mean, yeah. I agree with that. I'm going to tell you to watch it, but it's kind of like me me being like, man, this is the weirdest tasting thing I've ever eaten. Could you taste this and tell me like, what, <laughs> yeah, right. if you can make sense of it? Um, so uh, a couple things. Uh, is this Nick Cage's weirdest performance and what other Nick Cage performances are in the running? Oh man! I definitely think it's his weirdest lately. Um, we he around this like in the same month he put out three different direct-to-video slash. It's getting harder to keep up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like three different movies of his where, that he stars in went straight to streaming, straight to VOD. There's this one. There's uh, Paul Schrader's yeah, Dog Eat Dog, Dog Eat in Dog. which he is not even the Nick Cageiest person in that movie because Willem Dafoe is. 
Yeah. And, um, oh my God, Vince, remember watching Dog Eat Dog? I, if I hadn't been in the middle seat of a film festival, <laughs> I would have walked out for sure. I haven't seen it, but I hear he's doing a full on Humphrey Bogart in that movie. Is that accurate? It's, you guys? I would say he's attempting one. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's weird, man. It's like, a. It's like Pulp Fiction written by like a racist, bitter ex-con. It's super, it's just, it's just kind of hateful and <laughs> ugly to look at and really hard to sit through. So I saw it at Toronto next to Vince and I'm really glad that I was blocking your exit. Yeah. <laughs> um, my other big memories from that experience were Amy Nicholson was on the other side of me and I just kept looking at her to see her horrified face. Uh, <laughs> Because her reactions were gold. And then the last thing I remember was I definitely ate a hot dog during Doggy Dog, and that was the wrong choice. Yeah. <laughs> did she she hated it almost as much as I did, didn't she? Oh, yeah. yeah. We both hated it. Okay, that's it good. It was wonderful. I just, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one. Because <laughs> it's weird when I go to a film festival and then you see a movie like that. And you think, all right, well, this movie, this film festival had like a programming committee. There had to be a few people that thought this was worth seeing, didn't it? There's someone oh had to God. write the like write up, and, and like they oh, played yeah. it at Fantastic Fest too. I couldn't, I I don't know. Oh, but do you did you realize that we saw we're the only people who will ever have seen Dog Eat Dog. Um, on an IMAX screen. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. And it's it, it looks like a cell phone camera footage, <laughs> like blown up on on IMAX screen. <laughs> um, the third Nick Cage movie, straight to video. Uh, I mean, VOD this month is a World War II true story, uh, like like tragedy about the USS Indianapolis, directed by Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> I was just looking at the IMDb, and I was like, I haven't even heard of this one. I yeah. definitely watched all three of these movies and have had a richer November for it. How was that one? I mean, that's a good story. They like got torpedoed and then they had to fight some sharks or something. Oh yeah, it's a really good story. Not <laughs> a good. It's like um, halfway through the movie, the the boat sinks. Um, giant, like hundreds and hundreds, almost like a thousand people, I think, um, were on it and. Um, those who aren't killed are then floating in the ocean without help for uh, forever. It's like Titanic. It's mm -hmm. like World War II Titanic. And they basically have to fend off a bunch of CGI sharks <laughs> that are terribly, terribly rendered. Oh, man. Nicholas Cage looks stoic. If only Blake Lively had been there. I'm or not bird. sure that would have helped. I mean, she's good at fighting anyway. sharks, though. She's good at surviving that one shark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, they really that, had it out for her too. Now that I look at Nick Cage's IMDb, I don't even know that you can even call something like one of his craziest. Because there's so many things on here that are just. Did you ever see the Left Behind with Nick Cage in it? <gasps> no, I never did. I never I did either. And now I feel like I need to see it. But he was, in, you know, he's in Ghost Rider. He was completely, out, completely out of control in Ghost Rider. Twice. Yeah, Drive Angry. Um, Love it. Season of the Witch, I never saw, but I can only oh, imagine that. Yeah. Um, I would say that this in um, Army of One, I think I described it as a cross between his character in Bad Lieutenant and his character in Adaptation. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. Except I mean, way more annoying than... I think that he's got a bit of... Uh, 
a bit of um uh the rock in there because like he's doing that motor mouth i kept thinking of him doing that line where he goes chemical super freak actually like everything is kind of like that line read from nick cage in this movie you know it's uh it's too bad that he's not just flat out good more often it's (laughs) it's either he's boring or he's crazy but like you know every once in a while something like joe comes out and I have like such a huge place in my heart for Joe. I think it's great, great, great. And he's great in it. He's just seriously great. Not, not any kind of weird or, or any of that. And uh, I wish he got to do that more often. Nick Cage is like an unmolded ball of clay. You know, like if you get a director with that's got like a real strong hand, you can get some good stuff out of that guy. I, like I, I love Bad Lieutenant and I love <laughs> Adaptation. Like if you got someone there who can be Nick Cage's dad and tell him when to like settle down and, and like put him on timeout sometimes like you can get some good stuff out of Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking at this and like some of these are pretty good. Frozen ground is pretty good. I mean, it's, it's small, but it's okay. And he's just like real even keel in it yeah. opposite John Cusack. Uh, Rage is one that's more on the crazier side, but oh, yeah. I like it, but it's not on that bad Lieutenant level mm-hmm. of course but like it's pretty entertaining and he's real angry in it um and not in a campy way so there's aspects of that that's a pretty good performance the, a little bit diff- oh sorry no just a little bit different than what you'd expect um i mean he amps it up a couple times but overall it's kind of a good one yeah kick ass i thought i mean that was basically playing so, off his yeah. real life persona but like that was he was that was a good use of nick cage uh the one that i've I can't even say that I've been wanting to see, but the one that I'm very curious to see because I, well, for many reasons is this movie outcast. Did you guys see outcast from a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. It was, it went nowhere. Does it, he, um, does he play Miss Jackson? Oh my God. I wish oh, him and Hayden. Yeah. Chris, I'm um, looking at it is. Yeah. Look it up right now. The, the poster is amazing. It's like a sword. It's like a, an ancient, it's like a white warrior in ancient China movie mm-hmm. starring him and Hayden Christensen. I mean, that sounds pretty. Oh, he's playing, playing Ghislaine. Yeah, that, that seems like it could be good. He's got a fabulous wig in, in the IMDb picture. All right. So my, so my next question, jumping off from whether that's Nick Cage's weirdest performance, like what are other movies that you would compare to Army of One where they sort of tried to take a real life story and then it got away the only the only parallel that i can think of maybe is like the men who stare at goats yeah i can't i don't know or or maybe the informer i don't know why i'm only thinking in matt damon movies but (laughs) (laughs) um i would compare it to or the informant war dogs yeah yeah. um also not a good movie in my opinion uh, based on the real life story that probably sounded a lot better on paper before they cast Jonah Hill in <laughs> in it, uh, it's Jonah Hill and Miles Teller as like these two real life like um, I guess indie war profiteers. Yeah, and I swear I've not said this out loud before <laughs> to other humans, but I'm. I feel like Jonah Hill in War Dogs is doing a Brett Ratner impersonation. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought the same thing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I totally thought the same. And I liked War, I liked War Dogs uh, more than you did, but <laughs> I definitely think it has that same, 
that same quality where they took a really cool story and they Hollywoodified it, which mm-hmm. kind of made it feel. It took away the things that made the real story good in some ways. Yeah. I keep thinking about how like Charlie Wilson's war is like the exact opposite of this movie. <laughs> in in what way? I don't know. It's just um, it's it's crazy, but in like a totally believable way. <laughs> right. And it involves sort of this area of the world. Um, but I can't. I can't. Exp- I can't really defend it. You know what, you guys? Maybe it comes down to the old truism that comedy is hard as shit. Yeah. And when you try to make a comedy out of like a real life story like this, um, you better bring it. Otherwise, you're going straight to VOD. Man, I think I think there's some examples that they could have followed. Like they, um, I talked about it in my review, but I, I think Silicon Valley does a brilliant job of taking these people that are really ridiculous in real life and then underplaying it when they fictionalize so it feels believable. And like, I think that this movie desperately needed some of that. Just some, like they could have done some homework and gotten a different perspective. I feel like it's kind of a cop out to just be like, oh, well, it's crazy because it's from this crazy guy's perspective. But like, you know, you could do some homework and, and ground it in a few other people's uh, experience of, of dealing with this guy and they, and they didn't, um, I, I, we already mentioned it, but the fact that at the end of the movie, you discover that the voice Nicholas Cage is using is an invention, <laughs> I think is a big deal. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, the, yeah. it's the biggest laugh of the movie. Yeah. Like I want but a whole also, featurette. I want a whole featurette of just him like deciding to use that ridiculous voice. I know, I do too. And there's just so many choices I don't get. Like when he's in a sporting goods store and he knocks over things and that's a comedy beat based on our uh, relating to being embarrassed in public and stuff. But then I'm like, uh, but this guy doesn't get embarrassed in public, so that doesn't really work. Yeah. Or then it tries to do that like a meta thing where he's trying to decide who should play him in the movie about him and he says oh. Nick Cage, you know? Yeah. Like, that, it's, a, it's a soup of, of jokes that or joke types that uh, don't really go together very well. And then like my, the most baffling moment of the movie to me is when he's walking by the like Pakistani um, street food vendor who's, who's skewering goats. And he's like, no man, you got to talk to the meat. And I'm like, okay, he's just doing his like annoying pedantic thing where he tells everybody how to do stuff. And then it cuts back to him at like a second later. And like the guy has all these customers like Gary Faulkner just changed this Pakistani goat skewer barbecuer's life uh, with his really good advice. And I'm like, isn't this telling a completely contradictory message to half the rest of the movie? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that. I didn't know how to read it. It It's interesting. But it means that you're not really in the movie like you should be for a comedy that you're 100% behind because you don't know how they change based on the scene exactly how to read him because he is goofy. But sometimes he's like strangely competent. (laughs) He's definitely um, not someone you'd want to hang out with. But on the other hand, he's pretty charming and he certainly gets his way a lot. And it's... uh, hard i think on comedy to work uh, in so many opposite directions right i don't think yeah when you're trying like there's certain jokes that 
you know, might be funny, but if they detract from the last joke you told, like you kind of have to edit that out. I feel like this movie is a case study in you need a little cake to put your frosting on because this just was like, man, it was it was a lot of frosting. It kind of made you nauseous. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right. So Jen, what did you didn't you say? Okay, you have to run soon, but you said something about this. Did, didn't he get arrested recently, uh, Gary oh, Faulkner? Yes. Well, okay, watching this movie led me down the Gary Faulkner rabbit hole, which was a very delightful way to spend an hour. First of all, I recommend reading the GQ profile because it it really gets much farther in depth into the real Gary Faulkner Mm -hmm. and his eccentricities, his 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 plans and his failings and what other people around him think of him. Yeah. but then uh, the only other like hit that you get um, on him after the news the frenzy around him died down was in 2011 he was arrested um back home in colorado um and apparently this is what had happened he was helping manage his brother's apartment complex or something like that and there was some dispute with one of the tenants the tenant was getting evicted the tenant was not happy about that and so they sent some some friends to go like to go uh have a talk with Faulkner. Yeah. And they broke into his apartment and he grabbed his handgun and shot shot off a warning shot to scare them away. The cops came um and uh he gave his gun to them, you know, for safekeeping. When he went back the next day to the police station to get his gun back, he discovered that because he had several prior convictions um, and was legally not allowed to have a gun, that he was, um, uh, I guess, it, him possessing it was a felony. And so he went to jail for that. <laughs> yeah. And he was already an ex-con. After, apparently, this is the best, best worst part, I guess, depending <laughs> on your perspective. Um, when he was down at the station and the cops informed him that um, that he was being arrested, he said, quote, this is a, this is according to one of the, the other cops. The cops said he said he would use the detective's gun to protect himself if he had to and threatened to shoot police officers if it was necessary to protect himself. Good times. Wow. His, his entire life uh, feels like the O.J. um stealing back his merchandise situation where you're oh like, my you, God, yeah. you can't figure out like what is happening or all you know is like something intensely shady is going on, but you're not quite sure what. Well, the other, the other sad quote from this um, exchange before his 2011 arrest was that he quote, became somewhat argumentative with the detective and told him that there are two sets of laws. He did not elaborate on the laws <laughs> that he claimed to be subject to. I'm so, sure. I'm uh, sure one of them is God's <laughs> laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure God would not have him arrested. I'm sure God would give him back that gun. Yeah, and talk in uh, in uh, Russell Brand's voice. The Ugh. thing is, like everybody in this town knows who he is and knows why he's famous, and so it's like such such a sad ending. <laughs> I- well, maybe it's the beginning. I would still like to see a movie about Gary Faulkner that was uh, less out there than this one i watch him in jail i watch a movie of that <laughs> yeah have john stewart direct that one 
All right, you guys. Um, Jen Yamato, Daily Beast, Evan Sadoff, Birth Movies, Death. Anything else uh, you guys would like to plug before I let you go? Not me. I'm good. Cool. I would like to plug Evan. Yeah, plug, plug me. Plug Find him on Twitter. Plug and play. <laughs> yeah. At- E V A N S A A T H O F F. That's me. Not a lot of people have two A's consecutively <laughs> in their name, so that's like that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I, I've always felt pretty awesome for yeah. it. Uh, thanks a lot, you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks. Gary, Bye, guys. How are you today? Good. Where are you from, Gary? Uh, all over. Mm-hmm. When we heard the reports, they said originally from Colorado. Is that correct? Uh, born in uh, Los Angeles, uh, you know, Hollywood, mm-hmm. falling star, right. and I ended up in Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. Right. And uh, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, now, nothing, uh, but before I was a contractor and uh, uh, do construction, remodeling, redesign, right. and things like that. And, and how many times have you uh, launched this mission to go to Pakistan to find Osama bin Laden? Oh, I mean, they have the airlines and stuff going to seven times, but uh, I also tried a couple times on a boat. On a boat? Or two different boats. Two different, two different boats. boats, yeah. Well, tell us, uh, geographically, how, what are you, you leave from L.A.? Is that where you're San Pedro? Uh, actually, I left out of uh, San Diego San Harbor. Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a nice harbor down there. Yeah, it's a very nice harbor, unless they try and stop you. Yeah. Oh, did they try to stop you down there? Uh, they tried, but it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and, and who tried to stop you? Uh, the Harbor Patrol. Mm-hmm. And why, why did they try to stop you? Uh, I didn't have a life jacket. I didn't have a radio. I didn't have flares. I didn't. Well, I was illegal as all get out in, yeah. uh, in boat terms. And, and... One of the reasons America is the best country ever, fastest cars. Now, some douche nugget pointed out that the Italians and the Germans make faster rides on account of their Ferraris and the Mercedes. Well, I'm talking about non-fascist automobiles. Also, I'm pretty sure more people kick ass here than in any other country. I mean, some people claim that you can't quantify kick acidness those are usually people whose asses have been recently kicked what is crazy i mean it's crazy bad wasn't it crazy to believe all men were created equal wasn't it crazy to believe